Welcome to the Pennsylvania Association for Gifted Education podcast, empowering educators and parents to meet the diverse needs of the gifted learner through awareness, advocacy, and action. Welcome to our special guest, Chris Blackwooder, for today's PAGE podcast. Hello and good morning, Chris. How are you this morning? I'm great today. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Thank you so much. It's a little yucky outside, a little rainy, but uh, hopefully we will have some sunshine soon. Yes, I'm happy to be here with you, though. Thank you so much, likewise. I appreciate that. So before we begin, can you tell us about what your progression has been in the field of education? Sure. I definitely had a non-traditional um, progression. I began working in education without an education degree. I was a sociology and criminal justice major and started working in a women's prison in New Jersey as a teacher assistant and then went back for my reading degree and became the Title I teacher working with the female inmates that were between typically the ages of 18 and 21 years old because it was a fee, uh, an adult prison but I did have students that were younger than 18 who were tried as adults. And I did that for seven years and then moved over to supervise education programs in juvenile residential centers, helping those teachers provide a public school program to those youths and progressed through the Department of Corrections over 18 years to finally becoming the director of the Office of Educational Services, which oversaw all of the educational and vocational programs in the state prisons. And at the time, because of overcrowding, we also had state inmates in the county jails who also needed education. So that was a very non-traditional um, position in education. After that, I received my principal certification and got a job as an assistant principal in the Hopewell Valley Regional School District in New Jersey, where I spent another 17 years there as assistant principal, K-5 math supervisor, principal, director of curriculum and instruction, and then retired as the assistant superintendent of curriculum and instruction. So it was a really non-traditional beginning with a very traditional ending. Um, I retired in 2017 and continued my work in education at Ryder University and then went back in the fall to Hopewell as an interim special education supervisor. So I still have my hand in education in a different variety of roles. Actually, I think your background is really exciting because I'm sure that it helped you to be able to work with so many different varying people and personalities and characteristics across the state because of how you started in education. Absolutely. I used to tease and still do that I grew up in prison because I started two days after college graduation and I was basically the same age as my inmates who had much more diverse experiences than I did growing up in Northeastern Pennsylvania. So it was, I mean, it was a great preparation, not only in the field of education, because most of my inmates were non-readers, they were illiterate and mothers. So back then we didn't have the high interest, low level reading materials. Um, I had to start with nursery rhymes and children's stories that they could actually read to their own children at visits or on the phone, and that was their motivation 
were reading. And at the same time, while their academic skills were low, there were so many of the women that were so very talented. And I do say gifted and talented because their musical abilities, their poetry, their drawing, it was amazing. So I really got to see a very diverse group um, within the prison system. And then moving into Hopewell, it was a high performing school district and an affluent school district. And it was interesting because, you know, there you really did see the giftedness just from the experiences those kids had and the talents that they had, but in a very different way. So yes, I, I learned so much throughout my career, more so about people and how to deal with people. And education to me is all about relationships. And I had the best training ground in those beginning years. That is actually beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And we should add that word in there because that is important. I'm glad that you stated it's more than gifted, it's also talented. So how did you come to begin working with gifted and talented students in Pennsylvania? It was more my experience with my own children who are both, they're in elementary school and they've both been identified as gifted. Um, but to back up a little bit, I really, all of my educational positions have been in New Jersey and New Jersey and Pennsylvania are extremely different in the role of gifted education in the schools. But at Ryder University, I was managing a grant that the funder wanted us to provide more education for general ed teachers in the area of gifted education. Um, and it was interesting because I knew my boys were bright, but as a principal, you always have parents coming in saying, my child is gifted, and I didn't want to be that parent. So through my work at Ryder and the professional development that we were offering to teachers, I started to think more and more about whether my children, particularly one, was gifted. And it was more because of the social emotional issues. So I really used Ryder as my foundational education because I didn't really ever jump into the depths of gifted education because in New Jersey, again, they don't have GIEPs like they do in Pennsylvania. And students were identified and we provided a program, but it wasn't as strict as, as Pennsylvania was. So I really just skirted the edges of gifted ed in my educational career. But as a parent, I really wanted to advocate for my children. And through that role and educating myself differently now, because of course all the research is different than when I started education so, so many years ago, I really started to see how much research has been done, how complex serving gifted students can be, and that new whole social emotional realm that is being recognized. So I, I would say that through my work at Ryder and my own children, I really started to delve into gifted students in Pennsylvania. And I'm also very happy that you added in the social and emotional characteristics of gifted and talented students because sometimes that, that can be overlooked and it's really important to incorporate that in too because we're talking about the entire child. I appreciate you sharing that with us, especially sharing that your children are gifted and, and how that kind of sparked that passion and interest for you in that field as well. You were the assistant superintendent at Hopewell Valley. Can you tell us about that venture and about your retirement from that role? 
Sure. Um, as assistant superintendent, I was in the, I headed the Office of Curriculum and Instruction, and one of my major roles was professional development of teachers. And that role evolved over the years that I was there because all of the technology issues started to come up and thank goodness that we were prepared in that given the state that we're in now and also security issues. And I really felt that the professional development of teachers was moving away from teaching and learning and more into how to use technology in the classroom, um, again, the security measures and the monitoring and evaluation and accountability from the federal government and the state government, I started to really get disillusioned and it became sort of a paperwork pushing job. We had a professional development plan on paper, but you know, I started to have some moral and ethical maybe um, concerns that are we really providing the development for teaching and learning? Are we, do our kids do well in spite of us or because of us? So my children were getting ready to start school and as I felt that I wasn't really living my passion, I decided it was a good time to retire. And then again, not knowing where my children would land in education, I'm glad that I did because it is a full-time job to have two very differently gifted students and try to work with them and advocate for them in positive ways. So I'm, my retirement came at a good time. Absolutely. You're also a graduate of East Stroudsburg University. You have a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Criminal Justice, as well as a Master of Arts in Education with a Reading Specialist Certification. Can you walk us through your MED and reading certification that led you to your fruition in education? Sure. So my Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Criminal Justice came after maybe two months into my freshman year as a computer science major, I decided that that was not the field for me. Thinking about possible law school, things like that, I went into sociology and criminal justice because people really tried to talk me out of education, which I had originally wanted to major in. Again, I landed in sociology and criminal justice, but then ended up in education anyway. So because of needing certification, I had to go back for a master's degree to get, my, to get an education certification. And because I was the Title I teacher at, in the women's prison, um, obviously reading was the, the most likely area that I should go because that's where we spent most of our time with the reading certification at East Stroudsburg. And back then it was all whole language. And even in trying to teach my students then, and especially because most of them were special ed, even though none of them had probably made it through the identification process because they were all dropouts of school. Um, I recognized that whole language just wasn't working for them. They really needed phonics and all those basic things that we've come full circle to. So I laugh that I don't know if my master's of ed in reading really helped me because I, again, I had to do so much more work as the research became more available and with my population, the whole language approach was not working. I actually ended up going back for another master's degree in educational leadership at Ryder University, where I took a variety of courses and to get my supervisor certification and principal certification um, to really stay current with all the trends because education has changed so incredibly much 
um, over my career, but especially within the last five to eight years, that I really felt that a continuing education was necessary to stay current, professional, and provide professional development for teachers who needed it. And I agree. I do think it is extremely important to stay up to date and to stay relevant. You have an enormous background in furthering your own education. And I would really love for you to also give us a little bit more of a background in working with Ryder University and the College of Education and Human Services. You are a project manager for the gateway of STEM creativity and innovation in the classroom. That grant was funded by the Martinson Family Foundation. Can you give us a little bit of your, your background, your insight into that? What made you want to go that route? How did you end up in that position? Sure. That was a gift that presented itself from Dr. Sharon Sherman, who was the Dean of the College of Education and Human Services at Ryder University. And I had worked with her on various public school panels for the public school university partnership. So we had a relationship. Um, so after I retired, she called me to talk to me about this project manager position, which was only part-time. So it worked perfectly with my boys being in school and still trying to help them and advocate and be home with them. But when she described the grant, John Martinson, who is the president of the Martinson Family Foundation and a local resident, really felt that we are not training our students right now in science and mathematics to be leaders in this country in the next 10 to 25 years, and that we as a country will be falling behind in that education of our students. And he really felt strongly that the way to provide a better education in science and mathematics was through teacher development. And that was my whole background at Hopewell for the last 10 years of my career. So Dr. Sherman really felt that it would be a good match for me to step in and run that. And it was a great opportunity for me because I had never worked at the university level. And they're very different than public schools. So it really, it was great. The faculty was wonderful. Dr. Sherman was amazing. And it led me into a partnership that Ryder University had with NASA and a group that provided an Endeavor program. And they provided online STEM college courses to teachers to improve their skills as STEM educators and really guide them through not only the educational background and the knowledge, but also how to develop relevant lessons using the data that NASA collects all the time. And that organization was U.S. Satellite Labs. And they really provided much more than a university could have provided on our own. So the partnership was a natural link and very beneficial to the students at Ryder. And they're all online. They're asynchronous courses. And as I said, they really make the learning for students current and authentic using what NASA collects on a daily basis. And in addition to that, many of the courses are taught by NASA scientists and they provide webinars and special professional development opportunities to teachers, again, to keep the learning relevant, current, authentic, and really, really engaging. 
And after my first year, uh, Mr. Martinson wanted to add gifted education to the mix and really start to provide teachers with some of that gifted education professional development. Again, he was a New Jersey resident. His children coincidentally happened to go to Hopewell Valley High School, which we didn't know at the time. And he really felt the teachers were not prepared in providing gifted ed services to students either. So that was probably the most fun for me because I really had to do a lot of research into gifted education and work with the professors to help me gain my knowledge. And that was pretty much most of my focus on the last year of the grant because once we had the partnership going with US Satellite Labs, that really just took care of itself. So we started to provide much more professional development in the area of gifted education. And there was an August symposium that Ryder had held just for students in one of the graduate level courses. And the first year it ran, there were 30 participants in that symposium. The second year, when I took over the management of the grant, I talked to um, Dr. Ambrose, one of the gifted education professors, and asked if we could add some STEM workshops to it and maybe increase our attendance. And it skyrocketed. The, the first year that I took it over, we had 135 participants. And the second year, the same. The numbers just skyrocketed. And teachers really liked that we could provide the professional development in short workshops, even the one-day sessions. Because taking a college-level course for teachers right now is hard. There's so much on their plate. Um, and the cost of, of graduate-level courses is crazy in some places. And that really is two of the reasons why teachers don't go back for graduate-level courses. Uh, it costs time and money. So they really appreciated that we could give them that much information in a professional development session that they can immediately go back and use in their classroom. And we had outstanding workshops, outstanding speakers, and it really was so satisfying because I got back to talking about teaching and learning. And that really should be the focus of all teachers, teaching and learning. And now we're in a totally different teaching and learning environment. And I think that will be the next wave of professional development. I definitely see that coming. And there are a few things that you just shared with us I thought were really interesting. First, I love how this grant circled back to gifted education and that you could be a part of that. And also, I really like the idea that you shared two different words, relevancy and being authentic as well because I think that is extremely important, not just in gifted and talented education, but just education period. And I, I do appreciate and respect and value the fact that you were a part of that and you helped grow that, especially how exciting it is to see the growth from 30 people attending to then the next year having 135 and then continue that growth. That is absolutely exciting and very substantial. Oh, it was so exciting. And on the STEM side of it, we just, Ryder, just formed a partnership with the state of Kentucky that 300 of their teachers will be going through the Endeavor program. And that's really exciting as well because with five courses, they can get a professional development certificate in STEM and adding a sixth course in, as an educational leadership course, they can get a STEM leadership certificate. And many, many, many states are starting to see the value 
of having that STEM certification because it really is being now pushed into the classrooms as part of their traditional learning, which is so important. It is important. And I really do think that it helps to build the confidence as well as add more value to education for the teachers, but then also to emulate that back out onto their students as well to get them interested in STEM, especially science and mathematics. When so much concentration is in reading and writing, there's so much more to being a student than just that. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. And we also saw that students were starting to get lazy. They didn't want to think what I need to know and then I'll repeat it on the test and I'll get my grade and then we're good and we'll move on to the next. And I agree with Mr. Martinson, we are not developing thinkers. So through STEM education and that whole engineering design process, and you can use the engineering design process really in any subject, we really do need to let kids start to think and develop that thinking muscle and flounder. Kids do not like to fail, but they need to fail and they need to understand, you know, now we're moving into that growth mindset, that failure is an option and that through failing, their mind grows and they do learn more sometimes from failing than from being successful. And to just remember something in order to spit it back later does not help them. So fumbling through a design project or a STEM project, even integrating social studies and reading is a much better way of learning. And and that hands-on piece and working with other students is also critical, which unfortunately we will need to rethink how we do that if online education is to continue. But again, technology has caught up with that. So there are simulations that you can use and there are ways that students can work together online on projects. But I definitely see the importance and the need to move in that direction for gifted kids as well. Because sometimes gifted kids, if they're perfectionists or just want that A or A plus because they know they're smart and think they should have the good grade, sometimes working with other people is a difficult task for them. And they need that skill. They know they need to learn how to give and take that maybe they don't know all the answers or how to just work with other students and brainstorm together and make sacrifices. And maybe it's not your idea this time, maybe it's someone else's and you need to sacrifice that control and how to work together for the betterment of the team to come up with that project. So you mentioned taking those risks and really kind of refocusing and reteaching students that maybe failing or, or having an error, making errors is a good thing. That relates and connects directly back to growth mindset. Growth mindset is something I hear you're very passionate about. Would you mind just taking a few moments and sharing with us why you're so passionate about growth mindset? Because I think traditionally in education, we thought uh, you learn something and either you know it or you don't know it. And if you don't know it, so sorry, we need to move on now. And Sometimes teachers gave students the wrong messages. You're not good at math, you're not good at science, you're not good at reading, you're in that low reading group, but that's okay, we'll bring you up. And we don't know that. I mean, that is one of the things with all of the research that has been done over the last several years, that we know your mind can always grow. And again, looking at gifted and talented, 
you're not gifted in one area or you're not gifted one day and not the next or talented one day and not the next. You really can grow your mind to be good at whatever you want to be good at. Sometimes one thing takes more work on your part than another thing, but we know that your mind can grow and is always able. You're just not good at it yet. You're not good at it today. But I always say, people say practice makes perfect. I say practice makes permanent. So we have to make sure we practice things the right way because they do become permanent. And that is with the growth mindset. I think we need to make that permanent in our students' minds. That just because you don't know something today doesn't mean you, you won't know it or can do it tomorrow. And that we do need to keep working and using that thinking muscle and thinking in different ways and outside of the box that there is not always one right answer that you need to keep growing and developing even into later life to keep going and keep your mind moving forward. Were you able to take the growth mindset, the passion that you have for that and use that possibly in highlights that you have from working with gifted students in the past and how being in that gifted and talented program helps them reach their goals or become more confident and maybe even surpass their goals and expectations or even yours? The growth mindset actually came from my boys' school because they read a growth mindset pledge every morning. And I didn't realize the impact of that until my boys started to repeat different phrases and say, oh, I just can't do that yet. And then thinking back into my career as an educator, you know, I think back to being a principal. And again, in New Jersey, we didn't have a GIEP. We weren't mandated as strictly as they are in Pennsylvania to provide gifted programs. I, I started to think about, did we serve our gifted students the best way that we could have? And when I first started at Hopewell Elementary, we had multi-age programs. We had multi-age one, two, and multi-age two, second grade and third grade. And it was a wonderful model because you could go, you'd be with the same teacher for two years. Half of your class would be the same for two years. And teachers were really able to stretch those students. So a first grader coming in could really be doing second grade work. And a lot of the gifted students that were identified didn't want to leave the regular classroom because they were there with their friends. They had connections and relationships that they'd been building over two years. And in that multi-age model, we really had to meet students from where they were at. And I mean, this is going back to 1990s, um, developing a workshop model. So students were pre-assessed in math and in reading and they were put with like-minded math and reading students and working in that small group so the teacher could differentiate instruction. Again, meeting them where they're at, whatever math skills they had, they weren't all getting the same lesson. There may be a five minute mini lesson at the beginning of the class, but then those students were separated into other groups to continue their work. So obviously some needed much more practice with that skill or that read, the math or reading skill and would work with the teacher. Others just needed a little bit more practice so could work in a group practicing that skill, but others could really go much further beyond and extend it and apply it to different areas. So our gifted students didn't want to leave that and go into another classroom. It is important for gifted kids to be with like-minded students. So we used the Renzulli model at the time 
And they, they did have opportunities, choice sessions, where they could be with like-minded students. They did the stock market game for math. They did different pullouts like that. But as a school, we really started to take a look at how are we teaching all of our children? Because we had a very bright population. And to be identified as gifted, again, that's a small population. And for only those students to get those particular services was not fair necessarily to all of the bright students. So as a principal, I really did start to work with our faculty on how to meet the needs of all students, meet them where they're at, and then bring them to higher levels. So our gifted students were being served in the regular classroom. I remember we, I had one second grade teacher. She had three highly gifted readers. They would sit in the hallway with a lesson plan, following it to the T, and do their reading lesson and reading a book that most of the fifth graders weren't reading. But they were able to do that and they didn't wanna be pulled out for an advanced reading class. They wanted to stay with their teacher because she was meeting their needs. So when I started to think about professional development, I started to think about if all teachers had training in gifted education and differentiation and how really to meet the needs of all students, it would serve our students so much more and I think our gifted students would actually get more challenges and be more engaged and more independent and be better served. So I really appreciate the fact that you're bringing in all students because it does encompass all students. And I think that when you solely have gifted or advanced students by themselves, not matriculating or working with anyone else, you're really not growing their social skills, those soft skills, those integral skills, the workforce and universities or, you know, just outside of the K-12 setting. So I appreciate the fact that you recognize that and have had teachers recognize that in the past as well. And for some of them in the area of social and emotional growth, they felt safer and comfortable in that regular classroom. So as long as their needs were getting met, and sometimes that was hard to convince parents of because parents would want their children identified as gifted and get a special program. And I would counter the argument with, your child doesn't want to leave. And as long as your child's needs are being met, and I really felt that using a workshop model in math and reading, we could meet those needs. But I also said to the teachers, you need to meet their needs. You need to pre-assess, identify where they're at, and if they already know that, don't make them redo it. Yes, it is much, much more work at the teacher level to prepare all those different lessons, but in the end, it really does serve the whole population better. And see, the way that you feel about this, this is one of the main reasons why we're so blessed to have you on the board for PAGE because of everything that you bring to the board as well as this passion that you have for all students, not solely just gifted and talented students, and also things that teachers and administrators can do to help grow students in Pennsylvania. How long have you been with Paige, and what actually interested you to work with the board in the first place? I am only coming into my first year. It hasn't even been a full year yet. And selfishly, my work with Paige was to educate myself. As an educator in New Jersey, I did not have the skills I needed as a parent in Pennsylvania to really advocate for my children and to know what was right for them. Um, again, I have two very differently gifted children. 
and what is good for one isn't necessarily what is good for the other. So I felt that being on the page board would provide me with a network that I could get myself more educated in the field, but also help other parents who are struggling with providing, getting services provided, identification, and then how to advocate in the classroom. And that's where I felt that my roles as an educator and parent could come together because I truly believe you get more with honey than vinegar. So I really wanted to help parents and say, I mean, I am an educator for almost 40 years and I really did not know what was best. And I needed to educate myself and why go through this alone? If we can pull together as parents, then it makes the job easier. So I, I again, I entered selfishly, but I also feel that I could help parents and help them with the resources that I've already researched, the good websites, the good organizations, places where you really can go to seek information and assistance. So someone who advocates as not just an educator, but also as a parent, if you could change one or even two things in the field of gifted and talented education in the state of Pennsylvania, what would that be? And how do you believe that this would better serve gifted and talented students as well as the families in Pennsylvania? I will go back to professional development. Teachers do get courses in Pennsylvania and can get a gifted ed certification, which again is different than some of the surrounding states. But I think teachers need to be in the moment. I would think that the two things I would want is dedicated funding for professional development for all teachers in the area of gifted education and a requirement, a requirement that so many hours, maybe three hours a year, but a dedicated number of hours a district dedicates to training all teachers in the area of gifted education, especially, again, in the area of social and emotional health. Many of our gifted kids are those quirky kids. And, you know, they think, oh, that child is gifted. No way. He or she can't pay attention. They're always getting up. They're not doing well on tests. They need the education to know that gifted kids can be quirky and that there are social emotional issues that they may have that make them maybe not present as what their stereotypical idea of a gifted education student is. So my two things would absolutely be funding and requirement for gifted education professional development for all teachers and administrators. I agree with you. It, it needs to be more than just teachers. I agree it should be administrators as well. As someone who is a parent of gifted children, not just one, but two gifted children, as well as someone who's worked directly with gifted students in the classrooms and directly with your teachers as well when you were a principal, do you have any words of advice for parents or even students that might be new to the gifted world who may want help or guidance or even to find some really great relevant resources for them that you can share with us? Absolutely. Your state association, so PAGE in Pennsylvania, um, NJAGC in New Jersey, both are amazing organizations with not only dedicated, but very passionate leadership that really feels the same way I feel, that professional development for teachers and parents is crucial. 
And you also need that support network as a parent to, you know, as gifted students need those like-minded students to be with, parents need <laughs> like-minded parents to be with. Um, one of the other things as a principal that I didn't mention before is in dealing with gifted students, sometimes their parents were really difficult. And I wish I knew then what I know now because I was dealing with gifted parents and I would have used different strategies and I would have dealt with them differently. And I think when you're a part of a state association and then a local affiliate, because I think that's been crucial for Paige as well, having that local affiliate with children that go to school with your children and parents that are your neighbors to get together and whether it's venting, identifying resources, that maybe are needed either by the family or by the schools. Um, just having a, having a support network is so, so important. And then your national associations, NAGC, SANG, the Davidson Institute. I was at an affiliate page meeting where a parent said, you need to look at the Davidson Institute. Your son would absolutely qualify. There's so many resources out there, so many. There are a lot of places that parents can go and really learn about their child and then learn what to advocate for. I recognize that money is limited and time is limited. And sometimes your professional development hours have to be dedicated to something that's going on currently. But then I think we need to be creative and find different ways to offer that development. If we wanna differentiate for students, then we need to differentiate for teachers. I think a local affiliate of PAGE can really be a resource to their school district in helping the administrators first recognize the need and advocating in a positive way, not about your child, but about the gifted ed population and how to better serve them and how to give the teachers more tools in how to serve them. And then offering some assistance to the teachers, whether it's through the paid conference, one day, workshops, webinars, there's so much out there, but I think parents need to know that number one, they exist, number two, how to access them, and maybe to use a resource as me or anyone on the page board or the affiliates to funnel down the information because there is so much out there. And to say, you know, where would I go to find out about this? What's a good resource? And I think that is also what I appreciate most about Paige especially this last month, is providing so many resources in helping your children at home now that you're a parent as the teacher and helping with the social emotional piece. And the newsletter that Paige just put out had a link to Mensa for Kids. And I was looking at that last night and some of the activities are amazing. And I immediately forwarded that to our director of elementary education in the district and my boys' teachers to say, don't reinvent the wheel. Here are some great, it's for them to take, but they don't have time either to look at all those resources. They're fumbling through this homeschooling now as well and, and how to provide instruction online. So again, just serving as that resource to parents. And I'll post things on our district Facebook page or on the elementary school Facebook page, you know, different links to help parents out there to say, this is a good resource. Go and take a look at this. Wonderful, thank you so much. I really appreciate that because I think those resources will be highly beneficial. And again, the fact that you are an educator as well as a parent, 
of gifted students yourself, gifted children yourself, I just think that what you have to say, and I'm sure everyone listening in today felt how valuable that information was. Chris, thank you so much for coming in today with us. Thank you for this beautiful podcast, and thank you for being so open with us. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It truly is my new passion. Thank you. And thank you everyone out there for listening until we meet again. Thank you for listening to the Pennsylvania Association for Gifted Education podcast today. This is your host, Pam Seeger, saying thank you so much, and we will see each other again.